Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Hello, John. Good to see. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> we always joke about this. We just saw each other, but you know, this is how we record. So yeah, that's um, how we roll. <laughs> and uh, the, we're going to be having another conversation with our guest Upiety um, on this wonderful conference she uh, went to. Yeah, and and a, and a topic that we're all kind of familiar with, which is digital dharma, virtual sanghas. Yes, where it's all heading and and. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'm curious to know sort of how it played out in the conference, and then we can talk about our own experience with that as well. So, yeah, well, I, I guess back. we should we should first say that both you and I, John, are sort of digital Dharma people in a certain sense. I mean, I'm more than you, I guess, because I got my yeah. YouTube channel. Well, and Upadi, okay, so all cards on the table. Upadi and I happen to live together. We've been partners, life partners, for the last quite a while, and uh, dare I say. 12 years. Um, and, you can. Um, You're allowed. I'm allowed and, and into the future. And we have a, a, a virtual sangha, which has been going now for two and That's a half a years. Yeah, wonderful sangha. Yeah. And um, so we're we're all intimately involved. And I mean, I know you've been studying poly online, you know, so that like there's great vitality. The, vitality, yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. it's really, I think, made a huge impact on the growth of the dharma actually not the growth of the dharma but the spreading of the dharma especially um, with 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 covid i mean yeah. my gosh yeah what else what other options do we have for a couple yeah. of years so so i guess with that as background <laughs> yeah th first of all thanks for having me back i'm honored maybe i didn't do too bad of a job the first time so um glad to be with you and i know yeah we talked about a little bit the general context of the conference and some of the themes that carried through the entire experience sort of formally on panels and in workshops but also informally in the human connections that were made and indeed on the last day of this three-day conference one of the key morning panels was let's see what exactly the title was digital dharma and virtual sangha um and it really felt like well quite frankly with any of the panels we could have spent three days just on that one topic but i have to say i'm glad that this panel was organized that there was some conversation but it it really felt like we just stuck our pinky fingers in it mm. <laughs> um and i could feel and i spoke afterwards with a number of people that there was a lot of um does you know a lot of yearning to go much deeper in into the topic and a lot of both enthusiasm and great fear on, for a lot of different reasons actually and I, I learned a lot actually by talking mm. with people about this um, and as John mentioned what I what I just want to add to John's introduction is that the the virtual Sangha that you know you and I are supporting it was kind of accidental right it's not something that we planned um, John and I are in different for those listening are in different Buddhist traditions right we have an intra-faith intra-faith Buddhist <laughs> relationship. We're both involved in our respective communities in various ways. And just because of circumstance and being willing to flip open the Zoom 
when the pandemic lockdown happened, um, without any kind of strategic thinking or really um, intentionality beyond just trying to be available to people who were really distressed, a sangha has flourished. And now we're in a bit of a now what question, right? Now what moment? And so I was also really um, paying close attention to this. And I've also been witness in my own sangha in the Tri Ratna Buddhist community to the remarkable acceleration of digital transformation, which has been propelled by the pandemic and a right. lot of the prior, let's say, resistance or um, lack of prioritizing or funding, a lot of obstacles have been overcome in order to really lean into this. Um, and so I also had an interest in this panel from, yeah. from that perspective. Yeah. I think one of the biggest, uh, in terms of the virtual Sangha, in the non-Buddhist non world, I'm teaching MBSR online for the last three years. And I'd done a couple of classes even before the pandemic online. There was this, and, I, and before the pandemic, I was doing it almost experimentally just to see what it was like. But then there was you know, just a hesitation on people's part to think that it could be a, an actual community. And they were delighted when they realized it became a community, even after just eight weeks. And I think that's what's happened with Space to Meditate is that it, you know, it's created this community of people that interestingly sort of find commonality in silence for the most part, um, which is, you know, really magical in a way um, to, to, to see that that can happen. Um, yeah, make... actually, you're, you're pointing to something that came up in the conference. So maybe just... I think if I were to summarize it in different words, it would be that, oh, depth is actually possible. Right. Actual sangha as a practice, so not just a bunch of people online, but right. the actual refuge of sangha, as we yeah. understand it in the Buddhist tradition, is possible online. So there was, in the conference, a clear acknowledgement, and, and Doug, you, you would know this, you've lived it now for many years, that digital sangha, digital dharma and virtual sangha is actually nothing new. This has been going on in a lot of places in a lot of different ways. And there have been multiple pioneers in different traditions that have been forging ahead and doing things in many cases for decades, right? It's more that now a much larger segment of the Buddhist you know, well, I don't want to say world because that's a, that's presumptuous, but at least <laughs> for the folks that were there or, you know, the, the constellation of people represented at the conference, there was a real acknowledgement that, oh, this isn't just the business of a few pioneers doing kind of cool stuff on the Internet that we can choose to like or not like or take seriously or not take seriously. Like, oh, wow, this is really um, this is real. This is real and it has real depth. And there was an acknowledgement that it's not just a stopgap um, or it's not just a kind of um, lesser version of pending getting to in person. It's kind of its own thing, thing. Right. Um, there. And there was both an appreciation of what it means for accessibility for people who are homebound. We know that in other um, religious traditions, you know, and I know a lot of Christian congregations that have a particular structure and organization within their churches to reach out to those who are called, it's a horrible word, but shut-ins, right? So they're kind of architected around the reality of the life cycle 
and supporting more families. By the way, families were not present at the conference. So that was very telling mm-hmm. of the future of Buddhism. Not only were young people largely absent, but families were absent. And so there was, you know, there was a celebration of the fact that for people who are elderly and people with disabilities, if they actually have digital access, which is a whole other level of question of um, equity in terms of, um, you know, Wi-Fi and the technology required to be able to participate, it does break down barriers. Um, and also just a, a barrier of being local. I mean, because yes. the geography, a lot of people, yes. yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to online through either Patreon or through YouTube or whatever, they they tell me, you know, I'm out in so-and-so place and I just don't have any sangha around me, you know, yeah. so right. what do I do? But, yeah, I think, I think the other, I mean, so this is, you know, I, and I don't know if they define the difference between digital dharma and virtual, I mean, virtual sangha, it seems pretty obvious to me, but how, you know, what makes something digital dharma? Just the fact that it's online? I mean, obviously well, what Doug does actually, is, actually, you know. Yeah, well, actually, um, Nikki, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Mirga Fori, who happens to be, I think, some kind of scientist who's done a lot of research on AI and is kind of deeply implicated in the Silicon Valley world. Um, at one point, it was helpful in her presentation. She kind of gave a timeline, right? So it's like you could understand digital dharma, one of some of the earliest forms, as simply being the recording of talks and the dissemination of those uh, talks, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, right? I know in my own community, there were, there were recordings yeah. of... Sangharaksha, you know, there used to be old cassette tapes, and then it moved from cassette tapes to CDs that would be mailed to you like two weeks after the right, retreat. Right, and then right, all of a of sudden course. it went to, oh my gosh, you can download it as soon as you're home, right? right. So, you know, she was carrying us through um, kind of the, the history of how technology has impacted and fueled the dissemination of the Dharma and some of the new frontiers that were being talked about. So, and I, I'm, I'm going to say, tell you but what was talked about you know, particularly by her and especially Vincent Horn um, who was there virtually and just I want to preface by saying I don't know what I'm about to talk about you know just really <laughs> so, <laughs> because I, I yeah I, I've been focused on other topics but what what I understood um, with my low level of understanding of, of some of these areas is they're increasingly, they're anticipating and already seeing signs of the emergence of um, uh, truly integrated hybrid experiences. So for example, we were sitting at Garrison and there were lots of empty seats because they didn't fill the conference because some people got COVID and had to stay home or had a risk of exposure. And she said, well, you know, imagine if in the future, those people could be actually digitally hologrammed sitting on the chairs of a conference, right? So they were talking a lot about uh, AR, aug- um, augmented, augmented reality, reality. and where you really wouldn't, um, it wouldn't, you wouldn't, where actually this, you know, the screens, you're not living in a world where there's screens anymore, but you're wearing glasses. Oh, wow. That are a screen. And there's right. no more this sort of experience of screen time and moving through the world as as something very dualistic. And it's more integrated. Now, she spoke about this very enthusiastically. I I would say about three quarters of the room cringed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just somatically what I felt. Yeah. And what was interesting, we can maybe get to this a little bit later if we have time, is there was 
little time on the panel, little for actual concerns and the downsides, and particularly around the, you know, the impact of some of these technologies on girls, young girls in particular, who are very vulnerable. Mm. As we know from the recent reports that came out about Instagram and Facebook and, you know, problems of sexual misconduct and like the whole area of safeguarding, let alone the deterioration of our attention span because of the way a lot of these technologies are architected. That really wasn't given time, but there was a lot of... How do you see the issue of of the sexual misconduct with the online? I'm just wondering how how that uh, plays out. Yeah, there were two different things. These are more conversations afterwards that were happening at, you know, Mm. because they didn't actually get talked about in the the panel, which is unfortunate. And it's not just related to Dharma, obviously. That's just the virtual, the AR world in particular, right? Right, right. So there there were, although one person from the audience had time to kind of ask a challenging question i would say most of the time on the panel was kind of spent with the rah 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 isn't this amazing everything we can do and really to have a more balanced conversation we need to see the full picture so the different concerns that were raised as as you ask um you know doug one was you know we we, we've been on a journey in in the buddhist uh, traditions and this is across multiple lineages and generations and sadly it's all too common and not just specific to Buddhism, but we've been on a journey around safeguarding, right? And how, how to choose teachers wisely and choose communities wisely where vulnerable, often people come to spiritual practice with some vulnerability. How do we keep people safe, right? So it was yeah. just more a general question around um, what are the risks that are specific to the online world? Then there was a broader question around, we can't just be, as Buddhists, we can't just be rah rah rahing around what technology is doing to perpetuate, to, sorry, pro, you know, propagate, proliferate the Dharma without acknowledging the increased suicidality in young girls in particular around body image and bullying online that's happening and sexual predation that's happening um, that is disproportionately affecting uh, people, you know, certain groups in certain ways. But so is that as, happening within a Dharmic community or is that just sort of in, uh, in the online I would, uh, community maybe generally? Both. Yeah, I, mean, I just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's a, there's a whole question of, you know, yeah. how do we bring more young people into the Dharma? And if we start having, you know, young people's sanghas online, I know from past experience in other contexts, that will be a big topic. How do we mm-hmm. keep young people safe? Yeah, sure. So yeah. those questions were, were raised. And then the third group of concerns was raised explicitly on the panel and afterwards in a lot of um, one-off conversations around the fact that, you know, the internet, broadly speaking, is no longer what it was in the late 80s. <laughs> and it's really being um, uh, architected and formed by these large corporations that put profit over people. And, and as Buddhists, you know, what? How, how do we bring our ethical voice into this and really look at it from a, from a, a Buddhist ethical perspective? Because, um, because of all the yeah, all the impacts that we that we know, right, including the pro- the propagation of misinformation, which has caused, um, you know, in some cases, genocide in certain parts of the world and, and so forth. So that whole shadow side and the and the way capitalism, which was named and neoliberalism has influenced what is the Internet today was definitely top of mind for a lot of Buddhists. Yeah. And it also, I mean, of course, the Buddhist community is not immune from bullying and all of that. I know you've been, you've been to some degree a victim of that, not bullying necessarily, but certainly, you know, 
unskillful speech and and um, how that can get carried away. On the other hand, you know, the, the, one of the one of the most amazing things I thought, which we experienced, you know, earlier in the year, is when the funeral of Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, it was like, you know, which was live live webcast. You know, the whole thing. I mean, it was like that was remarkable, so and, true. and everything going up. You know, before that, the whole the week before that, and you know that would never have taken place. And just to be able to kind of bring, you know, talk about virtual sangha—that's of course a huge sangha. Um, but it, but I'm the so other glad th- you pointed that out, John. Yeah. Just to pause there the, for a moment because I really felt like I went to the funeral. Yeah, I, I didn't physically like the way they and for such a global leader who had such an impact in so many different geographies to throw their arms open digitally and to really allow people in. And also it wasn't just like here we're recording it and you can watch it. They had a whole toolkit online of how to have your own ceremony. Here are readings, here are chants, here are record so that you mm-hmm. in your local context, whether it's you alone at home or you in your local Sangha, even if you're not affiliated with us and you would like to have a memorial service, mm-hmm. you know, here are tools. I just thought that was so forward thinking and, and generous and really welcoming. Yeah. So yeah, good and, to name that. And then the other thing I would name, because you brought it up the other day, actually, for our sangha is, you know, so for those of you that ha- haven't checked us out, um, and I don't mean to be promoting space to meditate, but you know, this is a group of uh, uh, we meet six mornings a week at eight a.m., some evenings a week. You now between I'd say between thirty and forty-five to fifty people show up every morning. Some people have been there almost every day. And Piety was uh, speaking about it the other day and say, you know, this would only happen, generally speaking, in the past if you lived on a monastery where you would be sitting with the same people every day and how unique it is to sort of have that experience. You know, and, and, and for a lot of the people, it's just like this is their practice and it's important to them. And so, oh. And, and so that's the, the beauty of a virtual sangha. You don't have to, you know, leave your house just for that 30 minutes to go practice. I mean, if we lived in the same neighborhood, like you could do it, Doug, because you have a monastery near you. You, know, <laughs> you could drive up the hill to, to the Zen monastery near you. and, and Ancestral um, heart. As right. It's <laughs> Beautiful. And practice every morning at whatever, probably 6 a.m. But, you know, it's Actually, like, I think it's 5.30. Just probably. <laughs> and they don't have coffee, which I recently uh, learned. Oh, no. <laughs> So we'll there is, you know, so that's the other beauty of it. And then, you know, and then there's, you know, what you do, of course, and, and, um, you know, all the teaching you basically do, you know, once a week and, and, and that's available on so many different fronts now. Then of course, it also brings in for many people like, um, right livelihood or not, you know, and how things are, you know, supported and, and, and then breaking into the, the secular world of mindfulness, of course, that's a whole other thing, which we've talked a little bit about on this podcast. Um, so there are a lot, of, there's so many different elements here. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's all, huge. Yeah. And it's all, I, you know, for the most part, it's all really great. Um, you know, and it's just like being aware of the pitfalls and, and the fact that we're human. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the overall story, at least in, Buddhist Dharma is just the amount of stuff available now. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. Well, you um, look at Sutta Central, it's like 
Yeah, right. Sutta Central, just in, as one example. You yeah. know, the, all the suttas are available, you know, with Pali next to them. If you click the right button, you can see the Pali right. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's yeah. available for free on the internet. Uh, for those of us who can, who can, who the, for those of us who have access, right? Have access you're on the right the side. If you're right. on 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 the on the right side of the digital divide, right? Um, yeah, it's... then indeed there are way more resources than there were just even ten years ago. I mean, it's so interesting when you consider. I mean, there used to be, a, and and this is, I mean, to, you know, Tanisaro Biku, you know, who started that all with access to insight. Mm. Uh, as one example, I mean, he's sort of been so so like interesting that like in the in the in the Suto world there are these two platforms, you know. One is it's like the, I don't know that they they see themselves as competitors, um, and you know, but well, uh, there's different. They're different, very different. Of course. Different translations, which is fine. Yeah. You want, um, and they're both available freely. You know, mm -hmm. it's like that. That alone is kind of mind-boggling. And that's just like in the early traditions. <laughs> yeah, and Bhikkhu Bodhi does uh, Pali stuff online as well, yeah. which is unbelievable. Um, yeah, there's more and more. Um, yeah, for those of us, again, who can who have, access, have access, there's yeah. there's more and more. I want to give a little shout out to someone who was on the, the panel who was really impressive and who was actually one of the only really young people at the conference called The Future of American Buddhism. And I'd, I'd never met him before. His name is Devin Matsumoto, and he's one of the co-founders of a website you can look up called the Young Buddhist Editorial. And to connect this conversation to the other one we had on your last podcast, so he is coming out of the Japanese-American Shin Buddhist tradition, and he and others from that community just really got fed up from what I understand, or just, you know, were kind of really at their wits end around how their community and particularly young people in their community were not represented or misrepresented mm -hmm. in the media in general and in the Buddhist media in particular, and decided to, you know, have their own online magazine, um, giving voice to folks in their community from their perspective. And it's a great website. And I think he he broadened out the conversation even more around, you know, actually what, um, what inter, you know, what integration of technology can mean in terms of indeed building a bigger table with really everybody at that table, um, on their own terms, right? <laughs> this is like a magazine, of course, that many people are reading, but it's, you know, f for their folks, you know, built by their, their folks, so to speak. And that has an impact and it, it's a it's a really great antidote to being mm. tokenized or um, and, and so forth. So, but I will say what's interesting on this topic of generations, I didn't have an opportunity to to you know anecdotally verify this at the conference. A because I didn't have time, and B because there weren't a lot of young people. But when I talked to my sanghas um, in different parts of of the U.S. and beyond, we're noticing a trend. I don't know if it's specific to Triratna. It, it might be, it might not be, but we're actually um, in this kind of hybrid, awkward moment where there's a lot that's coming back in person. A lot of young people do not want to do the digital stuff. They are fed up. Mm. <laughs> they really want to be in person. They really want, um, um, this is a gross generalization, but I would say there's a, there's a, a hunger for a more somatic oriented practice, sure. a real experience of community where we're, you know, 
eating and working together and living together and something more integrated and they're tired of the screens. Maybe they've been through a couple of years of schooling online through the pandemic. Um, I know in some cases, some of my young cousins you know, are literally like not having phones. Like there are some of them are going all the way and becoming Luddites, which is kind of amazing for <laughs> Gen Z's. Um, whereas a lot of the older people, like I know a, a chair of one of our large Buddhist centers is really struggling in this moment of trying to figure out how to open and reopen because a lot of the older folk in the community, which is still a big part of the community and even the majority of the community, they don't want to come back to in person, um, even if they live locally. So So it's really interesting to see, um, how this is going to all, um, play out and how it's going to play out within the, the development of multi-generational wow. sanghas and the integration of families um, it's gonna, also. It's going to all be hybrid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I sympathize with, yeah. you know, yeah. with a lot of that. And, and how refreshing that people are actually willing to get rid of their phones. <laughs> right? no, I'm, not, I'm not willing to get rid of my phone yet. But, but I mean, it's, you know, it's just, a, you know, it's, I know when, when you do a retreat, you know, people are really happy to hand you their phones generally. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a great, lot are, so. and others yeah. are really struggling. Like, there's yeah. real yeah. issues of addiction there. Yeah, for sure. That's um, a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the question podcast. around hybrid, it's, yeah. it's kind of, I think it's not just a question from what I, if I listen, if I replay some of those conversations I've had in my mind for a moment, it's not just a question of, oh, yes, we'll do, you know, we'll do stuff in person and there'll be an, an option online. Um, but it's really, oh my gosh, are we going to be in a situation where we have a kind of federation of sanghas within sanghas? Mm-hmm. And to what degree is it going to be hybrid? Because the people in person don't necessarily want to yeah. have an, the online component yeah, happening no, at the same time. A... And the people online don't want to feel like they're getting a lesser than version right. of sangha by yeah. being spectators of people who are in person. It's, I mean, so, from, the, from the teaching side, having experienced oof. it, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we did it once for, for our sangha and it was, it actually worked, but it was a small group online. But I know for me, when I was teaching a hybrid class earlier and I've got one scheduled for the fall, you know, it's, it is a challenge on, on many levels, but uh, I think it, it depends on what it is that you're trying to do, obviously, if it's, if it's create a sangha, then it's a challenge. If it's if it's just offering a class, that's another matter. So I think that you know there there are the future. You know we will see, and we haven't even gotten into talking about apps. So you know, <laughs> right, which is a whole right. other thing. But but in actual Buddhist communities, usually both are kind of happening, right? Yeah, Teachers of are course. Teaching, yeah. Well, it's, it's and lots and lots of options developing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all options. Lots of options. Anyway, let's uh, yeah. we can kind of wrap up this digital conversation. For now, <laughs> yes. right. So the conclusion is, I don't know where the heck we're going. Yeah, <laughs> I need to. I need to read up on Web three. Vince Horn was going on about that quite a bit as kind of a potential antidote to the corporatization of the in- internet. Even though people were cringing yeah, <laughs> about what that might that, mean because it's we'll connected see. to things like Bitcoin and right. yeah, so I'm forth. not sure that's a, a great solution. But anyway. yeah, so. We'll the see, future. but there are clearly the, the tech enthusiasts in the Dharma world and the tech skeptics yeah. and important conversations <laughs> yeah. that need I, to happen. I think it was important to be reminded, and I thank you for bringing it up, of, of how it started 
30 years ago. I mean, Dharma Seed is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Completely. I never thought about it in that context, but it's well, absolutely... You, you could yeah. go further back, just the... Con- and it was controversial, apparently, at the time, just writing down the Buddha's yeah, teachings. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I was thinking right? the same thing. Yeah. That yeah, was the first right. like, technological right. yeah. revolution in the right. history of the propagation of the Dharma. Yeah. Right? And even memorization was a kind of a with, technological with all kinds ability. of issues, like the councils where they came to go. Yeah. Well, I don't remember it that way. You remember it that way, and where they would kind of broker, <laughs> you know, what the heck did he actually say? Yeah, um, right. those right. were the first recordings, right? Yeah. So and <laughs> and also and actually, come to think of it, it was there was also tension there around who was at the table and who was not at the table, and the people no who splintered off. <laughs> and by the way, the women who were not always included Absolutely. in those conversations. Yep. So all those wonderful suttas on you know menstrual cycles, we've lost them, <laughs> and such and so on. <laughs> so, so yeah, these are not new issues. Oh, that's a whole other discussion to be continued. Yes, thank you for being with us. My <laughs> pleasure. You. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks for, for, right. your, yeah. for your thanks. great. Podcast. Keep digging away. Thanks. Keep digging away at the Dharma. Be well. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Bye. You know where to find us. Yep. Diggingthedharma.com and please send your send your comments. We need lots and, of coffee to keep yeah, the conversation coffees. going. And the coffee. <laughs> coffee. Keep All right. Awake. Take care, Thanks Doug. a lot. Yep. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Diggin' the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Mm-hmm.